Welcome to the Coming Out of the Dark Bible Study with Pastor John. Tonight's study will be in the book of Mark. We invite you to join us at 1 Oakley Avenue in North Providence, Rhode Island. This podcast is presented to you by The Way Ministries, supported by listeners like you. For donations, live videos, podcasts, and more, please visit www.thewayministriesri.org. Thank you and have a great day. Welcome to the Coming Out of the Dark Bible Study. I want to thank everyone for coming out tonight to get a portion of God's Word. Amen. First and foremost, let us thank our Lord and Savior tonight. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for coming into our lives, Lord, opening our eyes and choosing us, Lord, so we could serve you, Lord, be faithful soldiers for you, Father. We're just so grateful and thankful for you, Lord, and thankful for all the people in the ministry, one body. Many parts, amen. Grateful for all of you. should all be very thankful tonight. If you have a cell phone, please silence it so it doesn't disturb tonight's service. And we will start with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and Savior, thank you so much for giving us this beautiful night and this beautiful opportunity, Lord, to gather together as your family to worship, honor, and glorify you, Lord. And place your name above all names, even our own, as all of us fight to put you first in our lives, Lord. Thank you for getting us here safely, Lord. We have so much to be thankful for in this country, Lord. We're just grateful that you placed us here in Greystone, Father. You gave us a beautiful church and a beautiful family. Let us always be responsible and accountable to it, Lord, knowing that you're watching over us, Lord. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for your matchless grace and tender-hearted mercy that begin afresh every day, Lord, for without that we wouldn't be able to go on and carry out your will for our lives, Lord. Help us always to remain humble and teachable, like clay in your hands, Lord, so we can be molded and shaped into the image of your Son, so we can glorify you and bring others into your kingdom. And I pray for the people that are wayward and sick, Lord, that you touch their lives, Lord, and let their sickness lead them back to you, Father. Everything you do is geared to bring them closer to you. Help everybody to see you in everything, Lord. I pray to take all the bitterness out of all of our hearts, Lord, tonight and tomorrow, Lord, so we can show everyone that we belong to you and not the devil. And as always, let everything be done in your spirit and not our flesh. And in Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen and amen. We're going to stand. Brittany's going to come up and sing. We are going to get started.
Because he lives, we can all face tomorrow. Amen, Amen to that, right? Amen. Hey, doesn't the church look beautiful? All right. Boy, there's no better place I'd rather be on Thanksgiving Eve than in church with the Lord and his people. Amen? Amen. As you know, the devil always tries to pick people off on the holidays, take them out, get self-absorbed. But without Jesus, we'd be nothing. So we all, you know, we all owe it to him. You know, we all owe our allegiance to him. He says, seek ye first the kingdom above everything else, and all these things will be added unto you. Amen? Everything falls into place when you put God first in your life. And thank God a few of us got that. We understand that. That's why we're here. God comes first. Amen. <laughs> it's nothing like being in the spirit, right? The world is getting heavy out there. People are crazy out there. People are driving nuts. Everybody's self-absorbed. Thank you, Jesus, for taking us out of that. Amen? Putting us on a different course. Whew. We were all heading down that road of destruction at one time. Jesus put the brakes on and said, oh, I got a better way. The road that leads to life. Amen. Amen. All right, let's go to Second Chronicles there, chapter 20. We're going to start there tonight. Second Chronicles chapter 20. She got us at verse 13. Let's see here. Let's back up to verse 11. All right. Oh no, there was, there was two ice coffee sitting on my desk. Oh boy. I'm going to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I gotta be up anyway. <laughs> All right, okay. Verse 11, 2 Chronicles. The Holy Spirit has taken over right now. Please clear your mind and your hearts to receive the message the Spirit is trying to say to our church tonight. Amen? Okay. Verse 11. Now see how they reward us, for they have come to throw us out of your land which you gave us as an inheritance. Oh, our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. You see it right there? We're powerless against all that evil going on out there. But what does it say here? We're looking to you for our help. Look at verse 13. As all the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, wives and children, the Spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. His name was Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaniah, son of Jehiel. What are you trying to trick me over here today? In this <laughs> Give me a flashback. <laughs> son of Mataniah, a Levite who was a descendant of Asaph, he said, Listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Listen, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged. This by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Amen. Amen. Tomorrow, march out against them. You will find them coming up through the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jeruel. But you will not even need to fight. Thank you, Jesus. Take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. Amen. He is with you. O people of Judah and Jerusalem, don't be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. Amen. Every time you get up as a believer, go out with courage, because the Lord is with you. Amen. Then King Jehoshaphat bowed low with his face to the ground. 
And all the people of Judah and Jerusalem did the same, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites from the clans of Kohath and Korah stood to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud shout. Early the next morning, the Judah went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. On the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, Listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets, and you will succeed. After consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. At that very moment, they began to sing and give praise. The Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to stop fighting amongst themselves. <laughs> the armies of Moab and Ammon turned against their allies from Mount Seir and killed every one of them. After they had destroyed the army of Seir, they began attacking each other. So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground. As far as they could see, not a single one of the enemy had escaped. Amen. The Lord fought the battle. Amen. And let me tell you something. If you trust the Lord, he'll fight all your battles too. You could give it, keep your mouth shut, and let the Lord fight your battles. And that's why we were talking about on Sunday about singing. When you sing, it brings honor and glory to the Lord. It does. It really does. When you sing praise to the Lord. Remember King David was singing and singing. His wife thought he was nuts. He says, I don't care what you think of me. I'm singing to my Lord. Call us whatever you will. Like I said, if they call you a Jesus freak, thank them. Thank them. I'm glad you noticed Jesus in me. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> right, if somebody's calling you a Jesus freak, that's actually they're noticing Jesus. Right? That's a good thing. And they're not noticing, they're not calling you a devil freak. You just say, thank you for calling me a Jesus freak, you devil freak. <laughs> <laughs> What are you talking about? Well, if you don't have Jesus, you got the devil by default. You don't even know who you're following. We know who we're following. Amen, Amen right? <laughs> All right, I got one for us too. All right, let us go to Colossians chapter 4. I got two scriptures for us tonight. Tonight's a real... Awesome night to be thankful. We're safe. If we understand the scriptures, the days are going to come when it's going to be very hard to be Christians in this world because the, the world is going to be so backwards with everything they believe and what we believe, we're going to, they're going to think that we're, we're, we're like bad. Because they think bad is good, and we think good is, they, and, you know, the other way around. So they're not, they're not going to accept us. And then we're going to have to, like, really be close together here. Look at verse 2, Colossians chapter 4. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. See what it says? Devote yourself to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. So it tells us when you go into prayer to be alert and always be thankful when you go into your prayer. Because the devil is always going to try to get into your prayer. He's going to try to get in. It's always to be alert and vigilant. Look what it says in verse 3. Pray for us too that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I am here in chains. So Apostle Paul saying, here I am speaking the plan about Jesus, and I'm in chains because of it. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Look at verse 5 now. 
Live wisely among those who are not believers. See it? Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive. You see it? Whatever comes out of your mouth, let it be what? Gracious and attractive. Not only your conversation, but your lifestyle. Conversation means your lifestyle. So everything. Be gracious and attractive. Or seasoned with salt in the Greek. So that you will have the right response for everyone. You see, when, you, when, you, when your conversation is gracious and attractive, the Holy Spirit is working through you. So you will have the right response for everybody. Because you're gracious, right? And attractive. So you'll have the right response because the Holy Spirit is going to speak. Remember when they were going to court, Jesus said, don't worry, you're not going to be the one speaking. The Holy Spirit will take over and give you the right words to say. Amen? All right, go to Hebrews chapter 12 now. They say in the last days, the believers are going to get picked off. They're going to stop following seducing spirits and demons, doctrines that come from demons. It's very scary. Because there's a lot of stuff out there that sounds like the truth. And they mix it with lies. To scratch their itchy ears. See, when your flesh gets appealed to, people get attracted to that and they go for it. But when the spirits speak and it's crucifying your flesh... So you know that when you want spirituality, you want your flesh to die. That's why you're here, to kill your flesh. Not to get it, not to woo and get all, you know, happy and joyful in it. We want to be happy and joyful in the spirit. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And the Bible tells us not to make any provision for it. So if you give smoke shows and beautiful concerts that make your flesh feel great, guess what? Your spirit gets stifled. Okay, look what it says in verse 14. This is important right here. Again, it says, work at living in peace with everyone. And it also tells us to work at living a holy life. So it is a chore to live a godly life in this country. It is. Just like that, you know, that's what Apostle Paul was trying to say to the Corinthians. They were living in a... a a world full of all kinds of opportunities. And he was telling them, you're in a worldly place. I want you to live godly in it. It's hard to come up out of that. And it says you have to work at it. You have to work at it. Why? It says, for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Can I get an amen for this? What does it mean by holy? It me holy means separated. Separated by the things of the world. When you're following Christ, in his word, you will actually see the Lord. You'll experience him in your life. You'll experience him like he's sitting right next to you. Because the power is at working a separated life and a sin-free life. See, sin opens the door for the devil to come in. When you start sinning, you, you, it blocks out the spirit and the devil comes into you. And then you get what? Miserable, angry, upset, bitter, and resentful. That's because this sin creeping up and the devil's coming in. The, always, we don't want to give the, the, the devil any opportunities to get in. So that's why he says work at living a holy life. So the Holy Spirit is filling your life, not the devil. Can the devil possess a believer? Absolutely. And what makes that happen? Sin. It kills us spiritually. Now look what it says. Look at verse 15. Look after each other. Listen to what it says here. Look after each other. Not to pick each other apart, to but make sure that we're all safe. Look after each other so that no one, so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. People get bitter in church and it corrupts the whole congregation. It puts everybody in the negative spirit. You have to understand, when you have resentment, you have Satan controlling you. Satan controls the resentments. You have to what? The Bible says, every morning you get up, forgive anybody who offends you, get holy amnesia, forgive and forget. 
Don't have any bitterness against anybody, especially your brothers and sisters in church. We're here to defend each other. If somebody's talking about one of our brothers and sisters, you stop them in their tracks saying, no, don't talk about my brother. You defend them. You don't chime in and start talking about them too. Because the Bible says to do unto others what you would have them do unto you. If somebody was bashing you, wouldn't you want your brother that's getting, getting to, to, to defend you and say, don't bash my brother? All right, well, if you want that done to you, then you have to do it. Make sure that we don't bash each other. The devil loves to cause discord in a church. We've got to be real careful of that. Some people think it's harmless, but it's not. It's, it's, it, says, it says, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness. What is a root? A root is something, once the seed starts, it starts to take root. When a root of bitterness goes into a believer, it wraps around their spirit and their heart, causing them to what? Get possessed by the devil and actually come to church with what? Bitterness and resentment. Then you have to understand you're being controlled by what? Satan. It says to watch out. Make sure. It says watch out that nobody. So we always have to be evaluating ourselves. Trouble you. goes up, And it says what? Corrupting many. It can corrupt the whole church. Make sure that no one is immoral. Or godless like Esau, who traded his birthright as the firstborn son for a single meal. You know that afterward, when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected. It was too late for repentance. You see it? Even though he begged with bitter tears. All right, go down to verse 28 now. And we'll get into our study. some reason the scripture came out it, just, it was magnified so I gotta share it because it's magnified whenever it comes to me and it's magnified that means I have to share it yeah it just comes God's speaking to me to speak to you it says in verse 28 since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable let us be thankful and please God by worshiping, worshiping him with holy fear and awe. Worshiping him with what? Respect and awe. Understanding that great God of the universe, he, the power and majesty that he has, and the resurrection power that he gave us is awesome. Now look what it says in verse 29. For our God is a devouring fire. He will devour our enemies. How about an amen for that? We do not have to defend ourselves. We do not. Jesus is our advocate. He's our defender. When we model Jesus, what did Jesus do when everybody asked him questions? He couldn't get any answers out of him. There's more power in staying silent than it is trying to defend yourself. Because when you're, when you're, when you're, when you're quiet, you can't be discerned. You can't be discerned. People are like, what's this guy all about? How come he's so quiet when I'm, I, he should be coming back at me? What's going on here? It, it just makes people, they can't discern you. They can't figure you out. They can't figure out because the spirit is keeping your mouth guarded. Because really what you want to say is not spiritual. So we're saying, better off saying nothing because when you try to defend yourself, you become what? Worldly. Amen. All right, let's go to Mark chapter 11. Let's, 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 let's close up in this chapter tonight. Remember where we left off? 22. Yeah, 22. Wow. <laughs> well, that's, well, that's the only way you're going to remember. No way. Neither am I. Listen, listen, I go back and listen to it to make sure that I'm on track. Because it's a whole week. You know what I mean? It's a whole week besides all the other stuff that I teach. And you're right with me when I'm teaching it, so all you guys are with me. Well, as I know that I got some compliments about the Monday group. Somebody was listening. They, like, helped them so much. They were thanking me, thanking me, thanking me. But they just, they were just, I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, I said, I don't want to say don't thank me, thank the Lord, but 
You know, I'm glad that it reached somebody up beyond the four walls. People are watching. It helped them in a situation. I'm saying, wow, because what I was sharing on. Yeah, I said, wow, that's awesome. Whenever when somebody says that to me, it puts me back on fire. It encourages me. Amen. Whenever I need encouragement, whenever you just come and tell me. Verse 22. Then Jesus said to the disciples, have faith in God. I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. But here's what, here it is right here. This has got to be understood. But you must really believe it. You see, when you say something and you really believe it, it will happen. And if it doesn't happen, it's because you don't believe it. You can deceive yourself saying that you do, but in your heart you really don't believe it. We're very, the human heart is very deceiving and deceptive. So we have to understand if it's not happening, it's because we really don't believe it and it's up to us to pray to the Lord and say, Lord, please, Lord, help me overcome my unbelief. Because that's what the, the, one of the, the, the guys said, remember? I want to believe you, but help me overcome my unbelief. How many of us can actually say there was no unbelief in their life since they become a Christian? We'd all be lying. This is a real church. We know that we need help here. We need help. Remember Thomas? I don't believe it unless I stick my hands in his... Imagine, I want to stick his, my hands up into the wound to believe that was really Jesus. And Jesus said, go ahead. And he did. And he said, my Lord and my God. It says, but you must really believe it and it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. That's important. Now let me reiterate on that. The kind of prayer that moves mountains is prayer for the fruitfulness of God's kingdom. It would seem impossible to move a mountain into a sea, so Jesus used that illustration to show that God can do the impossible. How about an amen there? See, what the unbelieving world doesn't understand, this is a supernatural walk. When he's part of the Red Sea, it is not natural for that to happen. It is a supernatural event. It is supernatural how he protects us. And the spiritual things are supernatural, and science will not jive with it because they need an explanation. See, you can't explain God. He does things because he, he's God. Look, now, let's listen now. God will answer your prayers, but not as a result of your positive mental attitude. Like people say, you've got to have that positive volition and things will happen. Without Jesus. You see that all the time. That, that pseudo-spirituality out there. Positive mindset. You get anything you want. Not. Other conditions, listen now, other conditions must be met. You must be a believer, number one. Two, you must not hold a grudge against another person. You understand? If you hold a grudge against somebody, your prayers will not get answered. That's important. Now, can anybody in here say they don't hold a grudge on anybody? Exactly. Well, that's one of the things. You must not hold a grudge against another person. Three, you must not pray with selfish motives. Four, your request must be for the good of God's kingdom, not yours. To pray effectively, you need faith in God, not faith in the object of your request. If you focus only on your request, you will be left with nothing if your request is refused. Big amen there, right? All right, verse 24. I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you received it, it will be yours. You can say a prayer, say, Lord, I'm already thanking you for it. That's how strong your belief is. If it's, look, you want to understand one thing. 
The, the prayer has to be lined up with God's will. You have to understand. You're praying, oh, I want a nicer car. Because I've been good in church. I've been going to church faithfully. I want a nicer car. Well, your nicer car is not going to advance God's kingdom. If you pray for a bar so you can bring other people to church, maybe you'll get one. Not for a Ferrari. This is what people do. They come to church like God's a genie. But if you're praying for God's king to bring people into his kingdom, your prayers won't get answered. Just like I said, if you pray, well, you know, my car's small, so I can't bring anybody to church. But Lord, I'm praying that you bring a bus here so we can bus other people in. And I want to be the driver. I want a big amen for that. Yeah. Those are the kind of prayers that get answered. Look at verse 25. But when you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against. Listen now. When you are praying, first forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against. So that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Wow. But if you refuse to forgive, your Father in heaven will not forgive your sins. Compare Matthew 6.15. What does he mean by that? Well, when, you get, you know, when, when, you, when I say forgive, when God says, I forgive you and forget, the guilt and weight of your sins are gone. Because you forgave someone else who offended you, so God gives you no recollection. It's called holy amnesia. You don't remember the sins anymore. You're not guilty over them. You're not weighing on you anymore because you're doing God's will. It tells you if, if you have a grudge against someone, don't you dare expect God to forgive you. This is real believing. This is what a real believer does. Can I get an amen for this? This is what the Bible teaches us. The truth. All right, now listen. Jesus, our example, prayed, everything is possible for you, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. See, Jesus says everything is possible, but I want your will to be done, not mine. Because Jesus was making sure that it was God's will, not his. Now, you have to say the same thing, Lord, but I want your will, not mine. <laughs> exactly, right? Our prayers are often motivated by our own interests and desires. We like to hear that we can have anything. But Jesus prayed with God's interests in mind. When we pray, we can express our desires, but we should want his will above ours. That's spiritual growth. Check yourself to see if your prayers focus on your interests or God's. <laughs> Verse 27. The authority of Jesus challenged. How many people challenge God's authority right now? God, you say you're in control of everything. Why is that happening? Why is the world in such a mess? Why the, the world's in such a mess not because of God. Because of people's selfish self-centeredness. Because if you went to the White House and you plopped the Bible on that table and said this is what we go by in this, in this country, problem solved. Problem solved. They put in God we trust on the money. Really? Just words. In God we trust. Matter of fact, they're trying to take that off the money. Imagine. Do people realize what happens when you take God out of a nation? <laughs> Read the Old Testament. We understand what happens, right? Well, we're not going to take God out of our nation, right? Not in this church anyway, that's for sure. There's going to come a day when we're going to be waiting at the door to get in here. People are going to throw things at us. All right, verse 27. Again, they entered Jerusalem. As Jesus was walking through the temple area, the leading priest, the teacher of religious law, and the elders came up to him. They demanded 
By what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you the right to do them? Do <laughs> you believe that we're talking to God that way? Really, these were religious people that had all the laws, everything down pat. Look what it says in 29. I'll tell you what authority I do these things if you answer one question. Jesus replied, did John's authority to baptize come from heaven or was it merely human? Answer me. So Jesus used reverse on them. He tripped them up. He was trying to trip him up. He said, I'm going to trip you up now. He said, look what he said. <laughs> They talked it over among themselves. If we say it was from heaven, he will ask, why didn't we believe John? But do we dare say it was merely human? For they were afraid of what the people would do. Because everyone believed that John was a prophet. So they finally replied, we don't know. <laughs> then Jesus responded, then I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. <laughs> I love Jesus, right? He was like, I'll tell you, he was gentle to all the regular people like us. But to them, Pharisees and theologians, he was right in their face. He was all over them because they're the ones that kept people from finding him. He said, you make them twice the children of hell. All right, before we go on, let me just, the religious leaders were in a quandary. They had wanted to trap Jesus with a question that would show him to be either a blasphemer or a, word, a weird fanatic. Instead, Jesus had countered their question with a question about John the Baptist. Now they would have to try to save face. They had not stood up for John or tried to get him released. John had irritated them just as Jesus was doing. Always cloaked in self-interest, these religious leaders were only concerned about position and reputation. They weren't looking for the truth. And there's what? There's churches and theologians that are looking for reputation instead of looking for the truth. In John 3, 19, Jesus summed up this attitude. People loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. People who rejected Jesus, Jesus' claims, have a greater problem than intellectual doubt. They are rebelling against Christ's control of their lives. They try to ask tricky questions, but don't really want an answer. Sincere seekers, however, will find the truth. Matthew 7, 7, 8. The truth will set you free. How about an amen there? All right, let's break into chapter 12 tonight. We're making some ground here. Okay. Is everybody with us so far here? Amen. Parable of the evil farmers. Then Jesus began teaching them with stories. A man planted a vineyard. He built a wall around it, dug a pit for pressing out the grape juice, and built a lookout tower. Then he leased the vineyard to tenant farmers and moved to another country. At the time of the grape harvest, he sent one of his servants to collect his share of the crop. But the farmers grabbed the servant, beat him up, and sent him back empty-handed. The owner then sent another servant, but they insulted him and beat him over the head. The next servant he sent was killed. Others he sent were beaten or killed. Until there was only one left, his son, who he loved dearly. The owner finally sent him thinking, surely they will respect my son. I love this parable. But the tenant farmers said to one another, here comes the heir to this estate. So what is that telling you? They knew who he was. 
They knew who he was. Now look what they say. Let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. So they grabbed him and murdered him and threw his body out of the vineyard. What do you suppose the owner of the vineyard will do? Jesus asked. I tell you, he will come and kill those farmers and lease the vineyard to others. What is he saying? Rejected the Jews and the lease the vineyard to how? The Gentiles. Thank you. We're the ones who accepted it. How about an amen there? <laughs> Didn't you ever read this in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is wonderful to see. He's quoting Psalm 118, 22 to 23. The religious leaders, listen to this, wanted to arrest Jesus because they realized he was telling a story against them. <laughs> they were the wicked farmers, but they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. Now let me explain this parable to us a little bit here. In this parable, the man who planted the vineyard is God. Okay, listen now. The vineyard is the nation Israel. The tenant farmers are Israel's religious leaders. The servants are the prophets and priests who remain faithful to God. The son is Jesus. And the others are the Gentiles. The religious leaders not only frustrated their nation's purpose, but also killed those who were trying to fulfill it. They didn't just kill Jesus, they killed all the prophets too. Remember? They were so jealous and possessive that they ignored the welfare of the very people they were supposed to bring, be bringing to God. By telling this story, Jesus exposed the religious leaders, plot to kill him, and warned that their sins would be punished. Big amen there, right? Oh, Jesus is so awesome. How did, they, how did they realize he was talking about them? They knew exactly who Jesus was and they knew exactly what they did to the prophets and they were going to be punished for their sins. Now look at this, taxes for Caesar. Later, the leaders sent some Pharisees and supporters of Herod to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. Now, let me just explain something here before we go on. The Pharisees, okay, were primarily a religious group concerned with ritual purity. Let me explain the Pharisees. Ritual purity, the supporters of Herod were a Jewish political group that approved of Herod's compromises with Rome, okay? The Pharisees did not like Jesus because he exposed their hypocrisy. The supporters of Herod also saw Jesus as a threat. Supporters of the dynasty of Herod the Great, they had lost political control when as a result of reported unrest, Rome disposed Archelaus, Herod's son, with authority over Judea and replaced him with the Roman governor. The supporters of Herod feared that Jesus would cause still more instability in Judea and that Rome might react by never allowing the Roman leaders to step down and be replaced by a descendant of Herod. So it was all political. Do you see what politics do? It was all political. And what do you think is going on in the world now? It's all political. It's all political out there. And that's why they don't want to mix church with state. See, it's all political. Now, verse 14. I love this. Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are, okay? You are impartial and don't play favorites. So they knew God's character, okay? They knew Jesus' character. You teach the way of God truthfully. <laughs> what are they saying? They're telling him that he's doing it. They're, they're, they're teaching the way of God truthfully. Now they're trying to trick him. They gave him a compliment. This is what people do. 
Then they said, now tell us, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, before we go on, anyone who avoided paying taxes faced harsh penalties. The Jews hated to pay taxes to Rome because the money supported their oppressors and symbolized their subjection. Much of the tax money also went to maintain the pagan temples and luxurious lifestyle of the Rome's upper class. Just like our taxes, right? Here we go. The Pharisees and supporters of Herod hoped to trap Jesus with this tax question. A yes would mean he supported Rome, which would turn the people against him. A no would bring accusation of treason and rebellion against Rome and could lead to civil penalties. So they said, wow, see how they try to trick him here? He couldn't say yes or no. But how did he respond? Jesus was awesome. Should we pay them or shouldn't we? Jesus saw to their hypocrisy and said, why are you trying to trap me? Show me a Roman, this is, this is I love this. Show me a Roman coin in the Greek, a denarius, and I'll tell you. When they handed it to him, he asked, whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar, they replied. Well then, Jesus said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. Amen. What a answer. His reply completely amazed them. They, they figured there was no way out of this one. There was no way. There was a yes or no question. They're trying to trick the God who created them. They're trying to trick God. All right. All right. All right. Before we close, let me just reiterate on this. Jesus avoided the trick question by showing that believers have dual citizenship. 1 Peter 2.17 Our citizenship in the nation requires that we pay money for the services and benefits we receive. Our citizenship in the kingdom of heaven requires that we pledge to God our primary obedience and commitment. Right? <laughs> As God's followers... We have legitimate obligations to both God and the government. Christians really trip up in this one. They think because they're Christians, they don't have to follow the government. God instituted the government. But it is important to keep our priorities straight. When the two authorities conflict, our duty to God always must come before our duty to the government. The coin bearing the emperor's image should be given to the emperor our lives bearing God's image belong to God. Are you giving to God what is rightfully His? Good question, right? But we still have to, look, we still have to follow the laws of the land. You can't say, well, I'm a believer, I don't have to pay my taxes. Go ahead, go do that. See, what, see I'm a Christian, I don't have to pay taxes. See where that lends you up. See if Jesus keeps you out of jail. No. He says, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Give to the government what belongs to the government. And give to God what belongs to God. Like what? Your will and your life belongs to God. Everything else that functions in the economy goes to the government. We pay our fair share of taxes. Amen? That's how it is. We have to show that we're, we're followers of the law. You know what it is? They're called lawless Christians. They said the law's done away with, we don't have to follow laws. And what do they do? They don't recycle, I don't have to do this, and I don't have to do that. It's called lawless Christianity. It's right from the devil. The Bible tells us to obey the laws of the land, because God instituted that. And then we obey him, unless it conflicts with God. Until the law says you can't worship, that's when it becomes a, a conflict. But other than that, they're not stopping us from worshiping. You go to work every day, you pay your taxes, and you come to church freely. But if you don't pay your taxes, 
and, and you don't go to work, you end up in jail. So you can't worship freely. He says the, 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 the government are here to put what? To punish people who do wrong. To not punish people who do right. So if you want to do right, if you want to, if you want to do right, if you don't want the government to bother you, do the right thing. And then you'll be okay. We definitely don't want to be lawless Christians, okay? This is how people take things out of context. See, the law is done away with. I follow God's grace. Okay. So that means you can walk into a bank, rob it. I don't have to follow the law because it's, it's, I can kill somebody and I'm not going to jail. Do you really think God meant that? This is what people take. They take the spiritual literal and the, and the literal spiritual backwards. So what are they really not believers, right? Amen. They're make-believers, deceivers. A lot of deceivers out there. All right, we're going to close there. When we get back together, we are going to go to verse 18, discussion about the resurrection. All right, we're going to close. Hey, Oliver, you want to come up and close us in prayer tonight? You're welcome. Let's bow. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for the word of God. Thank you that we can go out into the world and take this word and understand it and live it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, Oliver. All right. We're going to stand and watch a video.